Somebody asked me in the last service if that was for real, and I was like, I think so. I don't really like coffee, so I don't, I have no idea. But we're glad you're here. We are definitely in a series uh, called Life Hack. Welcome to our podcast listeners as well. And what we mean by Life Hack is it's a way to follow Jesus that is not necessarily a cure-all or an easier way, but rather a simpler way to apply the characteristics of life into our life. And a life hack is something that helps you. It helps others. But here's the, the problem. We have life hacks because we have problems. Have you noticed that? There's something that we have to figure out a way to, to tackle or accomplish. And perhaps no better illustration of this is the, uh, the topic of fear and anxiety. This last week, I, I posted uh, looking forward to Sunday as I preach a, a topic on fear and anxiety. And normally when I preach and po- post something like that on Facebook, uh, if I post a picture of my Valentine, I'll get 240 likes. But if I post a picture about the sermon, I'll get like 12, you know, and uh, I don't pay too much attention to that, except that I noticed this week I had like over 50 people who liked this and said, what an important topic. So this definitely hits a nerve. So if you're sitting here thinking he's talking just to me, No. I'm talking to a bunch of people, including myself. But I want us to start right off the bat by saying this. Fear is not bad. In fact, fear can cause you to look into the future and take the necessary steps to avoid some problems. If you have the fear of burning yourself, it will cause you not to touch the hot stove. If you have a fear of no money, well, it'll make you go get a job, right? And the fear of God can take you to a place where you're willing to follow God, whatever he says and do. And that's better for you. Fear causes a fight or flight syndrome, as Max Licato says. But there's a difference between fear and anxiety because a fight or flight scenario helps you to look for a scenario. But anxiety, well, it causes doom or gloom. Have you ever been there? Maybe you haven't, but you've probably known someone who has doom and gloom. This overwhelming sense of, I don't know what to do. Mexicado says this, he wants to get us to place and believes as Christians that we should come to the place where we don't let anything in our life lead us to perpetual breathlessness and angst. Oh, I love that. That there should be nothing in our life that leads us to a place of, get that, perpetual breathlessness and angst. The belief is that as we follow Christ, we don't have to live a life that is driven by anxiety. But a life that is driven by the power and the love of God. But what does that look like? Now, this is the point where I want to pause and and say many of you have heard my personal story. Anxiety is something that I have struggled with. Not just fear, but anxiety. And the first recollection I have of it was the time when I went and saw a movie called Dracula when I was five years old. My parents didn't know I did it, and some of you have heard me say that before, and that really shook me to my core. To this day, I still have to sleep with a sheet around my neck, and I don't let anyone touch my back, including my wife. I just don't. Now, I'm not scared of Dracula anymore. I'm really not. You you could probably be glad. But I remember laying in bed, and for six months after watching that movie, calling out in night screams and terrors, going to my mom, Mom! You know, my mom would come in there and try to comfort me and try to say, you know, Dracula isn't real. But the funny thing about anxiety is you can tell yourself something isn't real, but it still is in your mind. Does that make sense? So I remember thinking as I was laying in bed, God is my source, my strength. And as a like five, six-year-old kid, and I, I will not fear. I will not have anxiety, lightning strike. Mom! You know? 
Because what if mom was wrong? And anxiety takes us to a place where something that is logical becomes illogical, yet the illogical becomes logical. And it's hard to describe unless you've been there. I would love to say that was the only time in my life I've felt that. I grew up in Texas. I was also a little scared of storms. I remember one time I was laying out in the the couch looking out the window and my parents had just ripped out a big tree and my dad saw the squaw line coming in as a perfect time to plant sod because the rain was the perfect watering nutrient for that new sod. So he was out there with my grandfather and I was sitting on the couch looking out and the tornado sirens were going because it's Texas. You know, it's called a Tuesday. And as the tornado sirens were going off, I remember looking out there just crying and and, and my grandmother came up to me and she said, oh, Daniel, they're going to be okay. And I looked at her and I said, Mimi, I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about myself. (laughs) Have you ever been there? And I would love to tell you that that stopped as a child, but I remember, fast forward, there's other instances in my life that's reared up and has shown up in my life. But I remember some of you have heard me talk about the time that I was a newly married and we were surviving on around 30,000, little less than that money a year. My wife had just retired as we had our new first baby and we had $23 in the bank account and we bought a house and because it was in our mind cheaper than an apartment, yada, yada, yada. And we were trying to make ends meet and the only house we could afford was a house that was kind of falling apart. And I can fix things, but I'm not naturally gifted at fixing things. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have helped me. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. But it takes me a long time sometimes to do those things. And so I was this new husband, new father, trying to figure out how to do this. And then we had a leak in our faucet in in the shower. And this is an innocent thing. It was fixed for like $12. But as the guy walked out, as the plumber walked out the door, he, he gave me a great rate on it. And we didn't have money. I was like rejoicing. And as he walked out the door, he said, you do realize that all the pipes in your house are very old. And you might have to replace all the pipes in your house. And I wish I could tell you what that did to me. That anxiety started to creep in and left me definitely in a place of perpetual angst. As in my mind, at three o'clock in the morning anyways, I was going to be a horrible father. We were going to lose our home. We were going to be having to live on the street begging for food. And some of you are going, that is the most ridiculous thing in the world. And I would look at you and say, absolutely. But in the middle of the throes of it, it made total logical sense. And the reality is, it's a struggle. This is the point where I want to pause and say there's two types of issues with anxiety. One is a neurological. It has to actually do with the way your brain functions. And some people need to be on medicine. If you need to be on medicine, please be on medicine. Does that make sense? But I also want to caution you that in a society that runs to medicine, sometimes we don't need to just run to medicine. Sometimes we need to balance that. So how do I know which one? Well, if you're a person that's running to medicine all the time, maybe you need to really pause before you take the anxiety pills because a doctor is not going to really be able to tell you everything in 30 seconds. And we have some great doctors. We have some doctors in this church, but they're going to have a hard time determining your whole life story that quickly. And you need to pray about it. But if you're the person who's resistant to medicine and everybody in your life saying, take some medicine, take some medicine. 
that fair? And I would love to give you a surefire line would to do that, but I can't. So let me just tell you there's a difference. There's a neurological thing that sometimes people need to be on medicine. But let me just tell you there's another side of this. Sometimes we need to really learn to trust in Jesus. And when I first went to counseling because I realized I was struggling with anxiety, let me give you some ways that, that my counselor, who is a Christian, taught me to tackle this. So here's what he said. Um, he said, first of all, breathe deep and slow. And of everything on that list, that worked the best for me because what I've discovered is in the middle of an anxiety, overwhelming, gloom, and doom world, I find that I breathe really quickly. And so there's a science behind it. It actually, your body speeds up. I don't know. It has something to do with endorphins. And somebody's going to tell me later, here's what it is. And I'm going to go, that's right. I remember that, but I'm not going to remember it. So you don't need to tell me, okay? And so it speeds up, and then you—the result is I find myself when I'm in real of anxiety going, and you may not even see it, but I can tell it. And if I were to take my pulse, it's like— and breathing slowly really helps me. I'm not talking just breathing slowly. I'm talking like take as deep a breath in and breathe it all the way out. That really helps. Exercise. Some of you think, Daniel, I know you exercise all the time, and it's to have that awesome physique that you have up on stage— No, that doesn't really help that much, but I actually exercise all the time more than anything to help me cope with my anxiety. And I've never said that from the stage, but that's the truth because it helps. Eating right, that's the one I feel at the most. But believe it or not, I actually do try to do some of that in eating right to help. One another area that really helped me was I was told, think of the worst case scenario and back yourself down. I'm going to get evicted from my house and live on the street corners. Now, is that really true? My counselor would say he back then it was like 15 years ago. He said, you know, if you get evicted from your house, you're involved in the church. I know because I go to your church and do you think we're going to let you starve. And I was like, I don't know. Are you? I need to see some bills. You know what I'm saying? And he goes, OK, even if the church would take care of you, do you have family that would take care of you? Yes. Will you have a roof over your head? Yes. Will you have food, shelter, water? Yes. Will you still have a wife? I think so. Yes. (laughs) And so just sometimes backing yourself up, and the way that helped me back myself up is by saying it out loud. Now, it's really funny. I'm going to get evicted from my house! Was my worst case scenario when I was like 15 years ago. Three in the morning. Let me encourage you, don't say that in the middle of the night next to your wife. That doesn't work well. But sometimes when you say it out loud, it it, it sounds ridiculous because you realize, well, it is ridiculous, right? But the thing I've learned about all of these things is they, they work, but they don't work. And I think there's something more. So let's look what the Bible says in um, Matthew 6, verses 25 through 32. Here's what it says. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink. By the way, this is Jesus talking. Or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single of cubit to height by his worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers, learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. 
So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And I'm going to stop right there. We're going to read a couple more verses later. I've heard this passage taught many times. I've heard this passage so many times preached and taught. And I remembered it. Because if you're going through a person who continually struggles with stuff, you tend to remember those sermons, right? I've, I've heard this passage taught in many various ways. And I've heard it taught accurately but not to the place where I really felt it helped me. That's just being a little vulnerable. And I want to share with you this morning the three ways that this passage is accurately taught scripturally. And then I want to give you a life hack, another little level of it. Is that fair enough? How that works, but how it doesn't work. The three arguments, I'm going to call them. The first argument, the way this passage is taught, is called the logical argument. And the idea of the logic of the argument says that God will do what he says he will do. Look at verse 30 through 32. It says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. Here's the key truth, the key passage, the key point of this. We worship the great I am. God is the great I am. He is the sustainer. He is the provider. He is the healer. He knows into the future. He knows into the past. He looks down on your life. He loves you. He will take care of you. He will provide for you. And you can trust in that. That is the logical argument, and it makes complete sense. The problem is, anxiety happens when you're not always logical. The problem is that we bring into our logic worldly logic. I'm going to be really, really kind of go into a place I don't normally go, and so I want you to guard your emotions right now, because I'm about to say some things that might be a trigger for some of you. What do I mean by trigger? I mean it's going to bring up emotions, and I want you just to try as best you can to breathe deep and listen. Fair enough? How do we face the world when bad stuff happens? When someone walks into a school and kills 17 people? How do we face the world in those moments? The reality is what we do is we look for solutions. We look for answers. We look for ways that, to ensure that that won't happen. Because the things that happen, when those things happen, what happens to us is something triggers it. And we sit there and go, could that happen to me? If it could happen to me, then we care immensely about it. If we sit there and go, it couldn't happen to me, then we don't care about it. You do realize that, right? So the way this works is people start having arguments. I noticed on Facebook, some of, here's the logical arguments of the world, right? Not necessarily the godly arguments, but the logical arguments of the world. I saw the statistic last week. It says, why are we so worried about school shootings when you're 300 times more likely to die from a drunk driver? I have no earthly idea if that statistic is true. It's on Facebook, so I mean, it had to be at least. You know, 86% of all statistics are made up. <laughs> Five out of three Americans have problems with fractions too, but that's another story. Um... The reality is, I mean, you'll get it later. <laughs> You're one of the five. <laughs> the reality is, what we do is we sit there and we go, okay, what we're really doing when we come up with those statistics is trying to convince ourselves that isn't likely to happen to me. But here's the problem. It did happen to someone. And for some people, that is a tremendous fear and by you saying you shouldn't be scared of that you should be way more afraid of this that's not helping 
But let me throw it to you another way. And this is the part where some of you are, I need, just need you to listen. I grew up in Texas. I am not making a statement on guns or whether or not you should or should not own them. I don't own a gun because I'm not safe with a gun. I'm clumsy, probably wouldn't be safe with a gun. Fair enough. But some people I know because I've talked with them are like, don't take my guns. And people don't understand that. Let me explain to you why the, the Texas and the Appalachian mentality, because I've lived in both those places, what they would say is the federal government can't be trusted in their mind. You go, that's not logical. I get it. But if the federal government takes our guns, we can't defend themselves. And they're going to come and they're going to prohibit us from worshiping. And over my dead body, are they going to take my guns? Because the worst fear for them is the risk of the minuscule possibility of their kids being killed in an accident is the government overthrowing them because they've taken away our guns. And you sit there and you go, that's not logical. And I sit there and I go, okay. It's also not very logical that something like that's going to happen in our community. Could it happen? Yes. Could both of those events happen? Yes. So maybe what we have to realize is we're never going to come to the middle by feeding our anxieties and having the conversations that are really about what our fears are until we're really willing to recognize what they are. They are our fears and they can be anxieties and they prohibit us from having conversations and discussions that need to be had. Is that okay? Y'all still like me? Because the reality is, this world's not going to be fixed by our solutions. It's going to be fixed when we turn and trust in God. And the logical argument says God is in control and we can trust him and we can lean into him. And the unfortunate reality is we live in a world with people that we can't trust. Even if we want to. So the logical argument works. God is on a throne. But there's another argument in there, and that is what I call the experiential argument. Look back in verses 26 through 29. It says this, Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to height to his, wor- worry by, to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed with this. This is the idea. Look around you and see how God provides. Look around you and see God's faithfulness. And I can look back and I go, yeah, I didn't die from Dracula. God is good. (laughs) Right? Yes, I didn't die from my pipes leaking. God is good. And and there's a sense that I can look around and I can see how generation after generation God has provided. And I can look back and I go, God has done great things. But here's my struggle and here's where the key truth is. The key truth of this passage is you can see the evidence of how God has always taken care of you and others. But what you can't see is what God is going to do in the future. And what really this is an issue of is, are you really willing to say, God, whatever the future looks like, I'm willing to follow you? Or is it about you? Which leads me to the third argument. The third argument is this, the priority argument. And that's found in verse 32. It says this, for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Idolatry is when you put something above the worth of God. And so here's the priority argument. If we make our priorities right, we will not have anxiety. And that is both one of the most profound statements I could make that is somewhat true. 
Some of you are like, I don't know what he said. Somewhat true. I don't really know. Here's the reality, because here's the key truth: that having God as our priority will help us gain a proper perspective. It just will. Realizing that this life is not really about this life, but it's about the life to come. Realizing what this life is, is about really seeking and serving and following God. Realizing that this life will always fall short and that there will be struggles and there will be difficulties, but God will sustain us. And keeping God as our priority helps us gain a perspective. So whatever comes our way just comes our way. And I love the adage, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And even if it kills you, it makes you stronger because you get to go spend forever with him in heaven, right? That's the priority perspective. So therefore I go. But the problem is is you can have that proper perspective and still struggle with anxiety. How do you know? I know. And so what a lot of times we do, and I'm a hypocrite, I've said this to people, not in this blunt of terms, but I've had it said to me a lot of times is what I like to refer to as a Jesus juke. That's this. You love Jesus, you shouldn't ever have anxiety. Great. Now I'm not only struggling with anxiety, but I feel really guilty and a less of a Christian. Thank you for that. And if you've ever been there, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Because some of you don't understand this, but you can relate through your other areas of life, through your addictions, through your pick a sin. And I want to be very clear with something. Anxiety is in and of itself not a sin. But giving into anxiety, I believe, is. Some people disagree with that. So that's my theological opinion. I always try to be very clear. Fair enough? But when you let your life be guarded and run by something other than God himself, it is sin. And I know because there's times in my life I've let my anxiety run my life. So I sit there and I hear all these sermons. Maybe you sit there and you hear all these sermons. You're like, Daniel, this is great, but where's the application? Because I don't really know what to do. And I've sat through these sermons and I've said, okay, I'm going to try the experience argument, the you know, experiential argument. I'm going to try the logical argument. God is good. God is great. God, you know, all those things. I'm going, to, I'm going to try the priority argument. But then maybe you're sitting there and you're asking yourself these following two questions. Because I think this is the crux of what it is. The first one is this. If I am seeking God, why do I still occasionally struggle? I mean, why? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 11, it says this. If I want to boast, I will not be a fool. This is Paul writing. Because I will be telling the truth, but I will spare you. So that no one can credit with, he, with me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. I want to pause right there and just say, this is the heart of every pastor, right? I want to boast about how good God is. I want to boast how good I am in following God. I want to stand up here and say my life is together. I want to stand up here and not tell you that I have any struggles. I want to tell you that I am the world's greatest father, that I am the world's greatest son, that I am the world's greatest spouse, and that I am the world's greatest pastor, and all of that would be a lie. But I want to. 
I want to be able to tell you that I've conquered this life and mastered this life. By the way, I'm convinced that's what a midlife crisis is, is realizing that you've never, you're never going to figure life out. If you're young, enjoy that. That's a downer, but it's true. <laughs> but here's the reality in verse 7, especially because of these extraordinary relations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. And therefore, I will gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So is this Paul's thorn? I have no idea. But there's been numerous times in my life when I've said, God, I would really like to not have any more anxiety ever again. But remember what Max Licato said? His definition was perpetual gloom and doom. Not occasional one that we have to turn over and give over to God. There's a difference. A temptation comes your way. It's how you cope with it. It's how you deal with it. It's why do I still struggle? Because I need God. Does God cause it? No, that's bad theology. God allows us to choose our life and to choose the path we're on. And this world is full of sin. And sometimes sin is caused by us. And sometimes sin is caused because we live in a sinful world. But the reality is I would love to tell you that I would never have any more three o'clock in the morning moments. But I probably will. But here's the good part. A redheaded, broken Texan who isn't the perfect husband or father, son, or pastor is still called to serve God and preach his word. And tell you that there is a God who loves you right where you are. And it's at the deepest moments of your weakness. You'll truly find how good he is. So I don't know where you are today. But I want you to know there is a God who loves you. And if you came in here broken, beat up, on your last strength, know that he cares. And that's why he died on the cross for you. If you receive him, you can live with him forever. And we'd love to share more about that with you. Some of you going, that's great. <laughs> when I'm weak, he gets to be strong. But you still haven't answered the question that I really want to ask, which is the second one, which, how do I combat anxiety in the moment? John, uh, excuse me, Matthew 6, 33 through 34 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. And I'm going to give you two Monday morning applications for this. How do we actually handle it? 1A and 1B. I'm not even going to call them 1 and 2. 1A says this. Focus on today. Seek today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow will have its problems. You know what anxiety is? Anxiety is propelling what will happen in the future into your life today. Why do it? So here's, here's the battle. Here's why we do it. If I don't try to think about how I can fix the problem, then the world's going to fall apart. Which is really you saying, I need to be God and control my life. You don't have to do that. The, the flowers, they continue to grow. The grass continues to grow. You don't have to think of through everything. Now, the person inside of you is sitting there going, I don't want to be the lazy man who doesn't do anything. I don't want to be the one who... You won't. You won't. Because if you're a person who struggles with that, you will in the right time. But when I'm in the middle of anxiety, the worst thing for me to do is to think about tomorrow. I just need to think about today. When I'm not in anxiety, I think about tomorrow. And I'm the guy with the bank plan and the backup plan. And my personality has 14 plans. And some of you love that. And you know that. And I love that about me. That also is probably part of the way, part of my DNA, part of the way my personality gears that leads me to anxiety. I always have plans. But here's the key. God has to be the center of the plan. When I'm in the middle of anxiety, thinking about my plans does not help. So what do I do instead of thinking about tomorrow? I think about today by focusing on his kingdom. So what does it mean to focus on his kingdom? You realize what anxiety is. This is somewhat the priority argument, but I'm going to take it to another level. When I really struggle, what I'm really struggling with is I'm sitting here trying to build up my kingdom. I want to make sure that my life turns out the way that I want it to do. And I put a block here and I put a block there and I try to build up my world to be comfortable. And what I find is I'm not strong enough and the walls can't go high enough to have a kingdom that I can defend. I can't defend my own kingdom. And that frustrates me. I can't build a moat big enough. I can't keep the, the, the arrows from the enemy far away enough. I can't. I just can't do it. So maybe I need to stop building up my kingdom and build up his. Because when I build up his kingdom, I, I walk within the confines and the walls of his world. And, and when I move into his world, I realize I am safe and loved and protected. And the way that works is when God invites us to build up his kingdom, what he's really doing is he's saying, I want you to get a glimpse of what eternity will look like here. A glimpse. It's not going to look the same, right? A glimpse. And the way that we do that is to practice what we're going to be doing with him in eternity, which is worship. So the best thing I, I found that is a cure for anxiety is worship. You know why we like to come together and sing the songs and the, the hair stands on your head? I'm going to lift my hands. Should I lift my hands and no one else is doing it? I don't care. I will see to heaven. I'm going to shout for joy till the walls come tumbling down. I'm here to worship. Some of you are like, I know why he's not a worship pastor now. <laughs> the Bible says, make a joyful noise. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you be you. Because when you worship, and the best thing I've found is to worship. Once again, I'm not going to bust out the song sitting next to my wife at three in the morning, but I've gone to the other room and put on some headsets and sung to the Lord. 
I've opened up the scriptures. I've claimed his truth. I've claimed his promises. And I immerse myself in God himself. Because God is big enough to handle anything. Anything you got. He may not give you the answers right away. Other than I got you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to struggle together. Is that all right? We're going to not walk out of here acting like everything's perfect and we're never going to struggle again and we're never going to have a problem. We're going to be a mess together. But what we're going to do is we're going to say we're not going to live perpetual mess. We're going to say, I'm here now. Would you walk me through it? And as we walk each other through it, we're going to point and glorify God. And we're going to see that God's going to do some amazing things. And that if you're living in a life of perpetual angst and breathlessness, we're going to say we're not going to do that anymore. That it may show up again, but we're going to fight it when it comes back up. But we refuse to give the enemy a foothold into our life because our life isn't really our life. It belongs to God and we're going to build up his kingdom here and now. Does that sound all right? Guys, I love you. I love you enough to be willing to put my head out and say, me too. I love you because God loves you. And I think there's a better way to live this life than gloom and doom. God wants us to have the joy of his love. So that's why facing impossible odds as he was about to go and be crucified, he reminded the disciples why he came. He said, this is my body. And every time you take some bread and break of it, I want you to remember my body was broken for you. When you take the cup, I want you to be reminded that my blood was poured out for you. So we're about to have a time of communion. And communion stands for common unity. It's a place where we come and reflect on what God has done for us, that we're all broken, that we're all in need of the Lord. And as you come, if you have a relationship with Jesus, we're going to have four stations, two in the front, two in the back, and then a fifth gluten-free station right back by the sound booth. You're going to be invited to take a piece of bread if you have a relationship with Jesus. You don't have to be a member here, but we'd ask you to be in a relationship with Jesus. And take a cup. And as you do... Don't just take it, but worship him. Say, so what does that look like? Tell him how good he is. Place your stuff in his lap and exalt him and say, I'm going to live following you. So God, would you be the maker of our lives as our deacons go to their spot? God, would you be our strength and our comfort, our source of hope, our strength, our shield? God, would you move mightily in this room? May the chains be broken that have shackled us for far too long. Oh God, we ask for freedom that comes only by walking with you. Set us free. Build your kingdom. And let it start with me. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Come and celebrate what God has done.